Good morning. Good morning, Eastside family. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to let our children, ages 3 through 3rd grade, after they've had an opportunity to worship with the offering, we're going to let them go to junior worship, and then we're going to bring them back in pretty soon uh, to share in communion at the tables with us. Going to ask the rest of you to take your Bibles and go with us to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, and I'll be reading from verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And if you've been paying attention to the songs that we've been singing, you will know it is going to be quite obvious to you that our verse of attention and focus today will be verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Some 12 years ago, my father was running on the upper track of the gymnasium at the Y, as he's been doing for, my goodness, 40, and I'm not exaggerating, 40 or 50 years. But on this particular morning, my dad collapsed, and thankfully behind him also running was a, a doctor and a trauma nurse from Vanderbilt University. This was in Nashville. And on the floor of the gym, there was another nurse and two CPR instructors there. And so within a short matter of time, Dad had five professionals um, working on him. His body was motionless. His eyes were closed. There was no air coming in or out of his nose or out of his mouth. He was not breathing. He had no pulse. He was unconscious. His skin was turning blue. What's wrong with Dad? What's wrong with him? Well, was it his legs because they had given out? And did, did they just need to kind of get his legs moving again and say, come on, Jim, get up and, and get back jogging? Or was the problem his, his nose and his mouth since they were no longer exhaling and inhaling? And did, did they just need to give him oxygen and just say, come on, Jim, breathe? Or did, was it that he was dizzy and in his head and he fainted? Did they just need to pour some cold ice water on his face and slap his face and wake up, Jim? Or to open his eyes, did they just need to take toothpicks and, and make his eyes open again? 
Or did they need to get some makeup and, and put the makeup on him to help his skin not look so blue? Thankfully, there were professionals that were there attending to him. And they determined that all of the symptoms that dad had on the outside were the result of a problem that he had on the inside. It was a, a heart problem is what he had. To be specific, he had gone into cardiac, cardiac arrest due to a, a faulty heart valve which had gradually deteriorated over the years. What's wrong with me? Do you ever ask that about yourself? <laughs> yeah, about you, Eddie, I do. Well, I ask it about you. What's wrong? What is wrong with you? Preachers do that, you know. Do you ever think about out there and all the stuff going on? What? What's going on? What's wrong with them? Our series of lessons in the Beatitudes, it's a, it's a step of faith we're taking towards a, a dream and a vision of a, of a recovery ministry here at Eastside, a ministry of, of healing, of, of hope, of recovery, of redemption for those of us in our church and those of us in our community who are just messed up and broken and in bondage to hurts and habits and hangups and addictions or, or whatever sinful habits or unhealthy behavior, problems you and I and others are having. And, and, and again, it's the same thing. Every single one of these Beatitudes does this. It just drives straight to the root cause of, of what's wrong. And Jesus does it again with this Beatitude. Our, our problem, their problem, your problem, my problem it's not my hands, or my feet, my mouth, my eyes, my body, my genitalia. It's Jesus, he nails it. He nails our diagnosis with this beatitude. It's a, it's a heart problem. As a matter of fact, this word that he uses in the original language as it was originally given by the Holy Spirit is cardia, from which we get the word cardiology, which refers to our heart. And that's what Jesus is talking about, not our physical heart, but that innermost part of who we are that, that drives our motives and our thoughts and shapes our character and our, our inner being. Our problem on the outside is a problem on the inside, impure heart. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the popular Welsh theologian and writer of the previous century, he's got a big old book on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's a fantastic writer. And as he writes about this one particular beatitude, he says this, and I quote, We come now to what is undoubtedly one of the greatest utterances to be found anywhere in the whole realm of the Holy Scriptures. We are face to face with one of the most magnificent and yet one of the most solemnizing and searching statements which can be found anywhere in Scripture. This is the essence of the Christian message, the essence of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Anyone who realizes even something of the meaning of the words, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, can approach them only with a sense of awe and of complete inadequacy. In spite of all that has been written and preached of this verse, it still eludes us. (laughs) So I'm going to give it a try. I, I, I really believe as I wrestled and I did, I said, yeah, this is tough. You're right. I wrestled with this. I think one of the reasons this beatitude gives us such a sense of awe and complete inadequacy and loses is because it's asking and calling us to something that's, that's beyond our reach. It's kind of like saying, any of you who can jump up and touch the ceiling, why there you'll have a view of God and you will indeed see him. Well, <laughs> it's not going to happen. But that's so typical of God it's just so typical of God to call us to that which is beyond our reach so that whatever else he is called whatever he's calling us to can only be achieved by his strength and his grace in our own not our own you'll notice this about God he's never going to lower the bar and on this one you might wish you might because we fall short of it but he, he is never going to lower the bar of his call and his plan for our lives to anything less than his highest calling and standards of perfection and holiness. Or in this context, I would say the highest standards of his purity. And so, so Jesus is, is calling us to, we're faced with this beatitude, to impossibilities, to have a pure heart, and to see God. And so you can kind of think about the audience of Jesus' day as he was teaching these Beatitudes. And he came to this one that maybe immediately as they said, see God, that the, the story of, of Moses and God and God say came to mind. That scripture came to mind when, when God, Moses says to God, oh, Lord, show me your glory. I want to see you. And God says, it's not going to happen, Moses. It's just not possible. You cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Not possible. The Apostle Paul, he he says similar words in 1 Timothy chapter 6. No one has seen him or can see him and Jesus promises the impossible here. As a matter of fact, I don't know if there's any place that more beautifully describes this promise of impossibility of seeing God than in 1 John 3. You know that verse, how great is the love of the Father. He has lavished on us that we have been called children of God. And he says says that one day, perhaps I should read it. We know that when Christ appears, right now we don't know what we're going to be like. But when he appears, we know this, we'll be like him for we shall see him. As he is. So what does that mean? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One day when Christ appears, we shall see him. My goodness, there are pages and pages and pages of authors and scholars trying to say, here's what it means, here's what it means. Does it mean really seeing him with our eyes? Is it spiritual sight? Is it seeing him with the eyes of faith? Is it seeing him in the sense of understanding him? Meaning, oh, I see meaning I understand him, I have a knowledge of him? Is it seeing him in the sense of beholding his glory, 
Seeing him in the sense of just recognizing you're in the closeness of his presence. Is it seeing him as he's revealed in the, the person of Christ? And while in perhaps all of those various ways we could say that now we see God, Jesus is telling us in John in 1 John 3 is repeating that, that there's something more before us that we're going to see of God in a, in a greater sense, in a fuller sense. There is this promise that one day we will see God and with that promise is also the promise that whatever it is of God that we see will be like that. We shall be like him, which is basically a restoration of what God had always intended from creation when he created us to be in his image, to be like him and we just took it and messed it up and he's working that back full circle that one day will be once again as he always intended like him can you can you can you just think about that can you imagine that we read that one day we will see god what will we see And as your, perhaps, your mind is carried away, as, as, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, in awe and in wonder, all of a sudden your grand fantasies of what that might be like are just dashed to the ground when you're brought back to the reality of the condition Jesus gives of seeing God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God well, that stinks. <laughs> For me, it does. What about you? And if you sit here and say, oh, no, Eddie, my heart is pure, then you just proved that, that it isn't, actually. As Jesus was saying, blessed are the pure in heart, I, I wonder what, the Jewish listeners of Jesus day. You want to ask that, you do. What, what, what did they understand? Were they thinking about, perhaps their mind went to, to the song we were singing to the verse, certainly where David cries out, oh Lord, created me a pure heart. And maybe that's directly where their minds went. But their minds went to the story of realizing that this King David, this man who, who he was a peeping Tom. <laughs> I mean, that's just outright, what, what you got going on here. After having looked at and lusted after his neighbor's wife while she was bathing. And then he just took it a step further. Had her come over. He was sexually involved with her. He got her pregnant. And then he tried to cover it up with a lie. And then he tried to cover it up when that didn't work with having her husband killed. And finally in his brokenness and his contrition he cries out. What is wrong with me? I'm so messed up. You read, that's my interpretation of the first half of Psalm 51. And the Holy Spirit's leading him in those words to the core of what's wrong with him. When he cries out, oh Lord, create in me a pure heart. And so you're kind of thinking Jesus' listeners are going, goodness, if David, a man after God's own heart, if that's him, and if he didn't have a pure heart, what chance do I have? 
Or maybe, maybe their minds were, were going as, as perhaps your mind went to the sobering words of the prophet Jeremiah when he speaks of the condition of the heart where he says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Look, there's a lot of bad stuff that's going on in your life and in this world, but above it all, the worst of it all is your heart. It's deceitful above all things. And then he goes on to say, and it's without cure. Nobody can fix it. And then he goes on to say, who then can understand it? So I'm just throwing up my hands now. What am I going to preach on? If the, if, the, if the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, and no one has a clue what to do, then why are we talking about this? Why this beatitude? Well, you keep reading there in Jeremiah. And he says, this is why. This is why we're talking about that. Uh, he goes on to say, I think it's in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind, which is kind of embarrassing. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. This is why we've got to go here because Jeremiah is saying there's something connecting between what's going on in your heart and what's going on with your eyes, your hands, and your body. There's a correlation with what's happening on the inside to what is happening on the outside. And that's the very heart of Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount. The whole Sermon on the Mount, boy, if you could just get it down to that, it's about purity of heart. It's about Jesus' concern, not simply about what is seen and heard on the outside, but his greater concern is the well of the heart. That's what it's called in Proverbs, where that the wellspring, the heart's wellspring. Everything flows from that. Jesus, that's his focus here. And then he goes on in the Sermon on the Mount and says, let me kind of give you some illustrations of what I'm talking about, that that's what we've got to get to, as impossible and complicated as it is. In a very direct way, he says, you may not be involved in physical sexual activity with someone else, but if you're, he would be saying to us, it would be the same thing, but saying to us, if you're looking at someone doing it on a screen or reading about them doing it in a book or fantasizing about it in your mind, then your heart is impure. You have a heart problem. And you may not have ever killed somebody, Jesus said. But those words, those hateful words, those hateful thoughts, that's impure. That's a heart that's impure. And you may not have gone into the kitchen with a butcher knife and stabbed someone in the back with it, but if you have condescending and critical thoughts of others and you speak unkind and mocking words about others behind their backs, your heart is some kind of messed up. Jesus is really, really blunt about this. As he moves on to Matthew chapter 12, the NIV says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What's your heart full of? King James, most of us know that verse from the King James, those of us that are older, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. 
And before you think, oh, we're just talking about speech. No, Jesus goes on. No, no, it's, it's a lot more than just about what's coming out of the mouth. He says in chapter 15 of Matthew, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, or whatever your unhealthy, sinful behavior might be. It's all coming out of here. And here's what's crazy about it, or crazy about it, here's what's true about it, is Jesus is not out on the streets talking to the people out there. He's talking to the religious, church-going people who were correct on the outside, but corrupt on the inside. He was speaking, he was speaking to people who are good old church-going people. And he says, oh, you, you, um, you worship me with your lips. But it's, it's, it's also in vain because your hearts are so far from me. You can be an active church-goer and have an impure heart and have a heart that is very far away from God. So where is your heart? What is the condition of your heart? It's like impossible, but, but we need it. We need pure hearts. And so you kind of dig around, well, what does he mean by pure hearts? And he means two things. Biblically speaking, if you really dig deep into to the text and the larger context of the Bible, it means two things. A pure heart means um, cleansing, a heart that's been cleansed. And then secondly, you'll find that this word also is used in the context of, of single-minded. Um, James 4 talks about having a pure heart and, and I think I've given this to you life groups and there he says you're double minded it means your hearts aren't pure not to be double minded to have a clean heart to have a pure heart it has one that is cleansed and have one that is cleansed and have one that is single minded a single devotion to God above all things so how, how do I this was my question and this is the part about this one what's the to do Everybody, our hearts are messed up beyond cure. We need to clean them. So how do we go home and clean our hearts? <laughs> and so, I don't know why, uh, but my mind went to my mother and how she used to clean me. How she, you ever have your mother or, or parents threaten to, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. Do you ever have that? Some of you younger ones probably going, that's disgusting. Well, my mother didn't threaten that. She, she did it. <laughs> I mean, we would go into the bathroom. She'd take a bar of soap. She'd run water open. She'd open my mouth and she would wash my mouth out with soap. And before you called the police or the DHS on my mother, you need to ask her if she could be here to tell you the things that I would say. And you'd say, give me a bar of soap. <laughs> how, do you, how do you wash out your heart? You can't. But God can. It is, it is a spiritual cleansing. This is where we're, we, we go to the gospel. A spiritual cleansing by the blood of Jesus that is poured out on the cross. And I step under the shower of that cleansing as I accept him by faith. And I'm, I am baptized into him. 
Baptism, you know, is described as, as a, a washing on the outside that symbolizes a washing of Jesus' blood on the inside through which I received the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit to change me on the inside, to cleanse me on the outside, inside, something that I can never do on my own. And so this prophet Jeremiah, the same prophet through whom God spoke these words about the condition of our heart, saying the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, is also the prophet through whom God went on later to say, oh, but, but I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I'll change your heart. Those words that our hearts are beyond cure, those are not fatalistic. They're diagnostic. If you understand that, it's God saying that which is beyond cure, I can cure in your life. And he promises. He, does a, he promises that in this beatitude. And then you put all these beatitudes together. He promises to cure us as we, as we turn to him. Poor in spirit. In mourning. And in meekness. In a hungering. In a thirsting for his righteousness. And a desperation, as we saw last week, of his mercy. And we ask. We ask as King David asked. Oh Lord, I am so messed up. Cleanse me. Wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart. That which is impossible, God does in our lives. Now, there's an important piece to this we, we have to see before I close. You'll see this in, in, uh, in 1 John 3. And I think I gave you this verse also in your... In your um, let, let's go to that verse on the screen. He's talking about this beautiful aspect. Let's keep going where it says, purify themselves. If we can place it up there. If we can't, that's okay. As he goes on, as he, as he, as he speaks about one day where we'll see God, he goes on to write in chapter three, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So that means though he has changed our hearts, though he has cleansed our hearts, and, and, and though we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to help us, in that process, and because of that, though one day we will see him, it doesn't mean that our role is passive. There's an active role we play in maintaining a pure heart. I think this is important. And, and I just don't have time to read it all. You do this in your life groups or on your own. But the writer James, this is what he's getting at in chapter 4. He's writing to people whose hearts have been purified by the blood of Jesus and their faith expression in that. But there was 
crazy stuff going on on the inside. And he says, that's what's causing fighting and quarreling among you. He speaks of them as being immersed in the sinful pleasures of the world. He calls them very directly adulterous people who were double-minded, not single-minded as a pure heart is, but double-minded who proclaimed on in church services a love for God, but they were living out a, a love for their sinful world. And he says to them, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. There's a role you play. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So I think that's where the breakdown occurs for most of us in this beatitude. While there are some of us here who, who have never had our hearts cleansed by Jesus' blood through the obedient step of faith and baptism, and we would invite you to take that step. Most of us have, and our problem is continuing in that process of carrying out our role of maintaining a pure and undivided heart. Oh, we sing and we ask, God created me a pure heart, but then we go out and play in the mud, if you understand that, of the world. And it's like we're working against what God is trying to do in purifying our hearts on the inside. And therefore, we shouldn't be surprised at what we're seeing on the outside. So really, part of the question for many of us is not have you been cleansed by the blood of Jesus through, through, through the work on the cross and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But are you working with him in this process? Or are you, as too many followers of Jesus, doing working against him? Well, what happened to dad? Don't you love it? He's like starts a story and doesn't finish it. With the help of the medical professionals, my dad survived that ordeal at the Y. They rushed him by ambulance to, uh, to a hospital. A few days later, they performed on him surgery and they, they gave him a change of heart, literally speaking. Not a full heart transplant, but a... Um, a heart valve transplant. They took out his deteriorated heart valve and they replaced it with a bovine pericardial valve. <laughs> My dad has the, a cow's cow's heart valve inside of him and he's been, it's been working tremendously for the past 10 years, maybe 12 now. His doctor, now it's like a dear friend of his, Dr. Patrasic, did through surgery what my dad could never do. And now my dad, through regular exercise and a healthy diet, is doing his part to keep his heart healthy. And he's not blue anymore. <laughs> his eyes are open and his, his legs are, are moving and he's, he's, he's back on the track. Every day at the Y, exercising, he's breathing through his mouth and his nose. And, and we're just all kind of wondering, when is he going to start mooing? <laughs> That's my dad's story. What's yours? What, what's wrong with you? What are your symptoms on the outside? Are you showing symptoms of hurts, hang-ups, bad habits, addictions, or unhealthy and sinful behavior and speech? 
of any type or sort. Maybe we could do something with your lips, your tongue, or your throat. (laughs) Oh, but it's your heart. It's your heart. You need a change of heart. Maybe it's you've never asked him, as King David did. You've never asked him to, to cleanse your heart and accept by faith and baptism the work of Christ to cleanse your heart by his blood offered on the cross, by his blood and his body as we see on these tables represented by the bread, the cup. Or maybe your problems on the outside aren't that, but it's that you're playing in the mud. You haven't been doing your part to maintain a pure heart and an undivided heart to God. And so it's, it's, it's showing in your life. Following a prayer, I'm going to pray in a moment. We're going to go to the tables to celebrate communion together. And I'm, as a matter of fact, even now, right now, I'd ask that our shepherds who are here, if they could kind of divide themselves up among the tables, they're going to be available to, to pray with you. We want to encourage you not only to go for communion, but there's a lot of heavy stuff that's going on right now in the hearts and lives of many of us. And we want you to reach out to our shepherds. And when you go for communion, ask them to pray with you. But if you know someone else that needs prayers, you'd like to pray them, we, we can open that up. It just it doesn't have to be with our shepherds. And our children's ministry know, they know this, moms and dads whose kids are in junior worship, they know as soon as I say this prayer and say amen, they're going to come through that door. And so you, if you have children in junior worship, we'd like for you to, to, after my prayer, go get them so that they can participate with us as well in communion. And if you're sitting here wondering, well, I'm not a member of this church. I'm really not a follower of Jesus you're invited to this table not just to take a cracker and to take a drink of a a cup of juice but it's an invitation of God's to say oh God would you create in me a clean heart I need Jesus and his blood you want to know more about Christ and what it means to give your life to him in baptism, talk to one of these shepherds that are standing there. They would love to study it with you and share more with you about that. And to those of us who are Christians, this is the time to come to the tables and to celebrate, to remember what he has done and to give thanks for his cleansing by his blood and his body. And it's a time for us To say, God, I recommit and rededicate my life to you to have an undivided heart and to carry out my role in working with your spirit to have a pure heart. Let's stand together and pray as we prepare to go to the tables. It seems way too simple, Lord, just to say, please clean my heart. But that's about all we can do, Lord. And so we ask that. And we receive your invitation to come and to, to drink and to eat of, this, of the cup and the bread that represents that by which you have cleansed us within. Oh, Father, to those who have never given their lives to Jesus, God, may, may they respond to your invitation to come to the table, to come to Jesus and accept you by faith to be baptized into you and to give their lives fully to you and to receive your spirit and be cleansed on the inside. And God, for the rest of us, we come to these tables to remember 
and to celebrate and rededicate our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.